0: Always a good cold open. So today on the Finance and Property Survival Guide, Rich Harvey is my guest. He's from Property Buyer. Uh, it's a buyer's agency, I believe, based in the Northern Beaches. But I believe you've got buyers agents around the country, right?
1: Yeah, Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane.
0: Yeah, beautiful. All right. Well, that's a that's the cold open I'm going to give for today. So if uh, <laughs> if you could start with who you are and what you do, and and we'll go a little bit into what a buyer's agent is as well, if that's okay with you, Rich. Sure.
1: Oh, great to be on your show, Damien. Real pleasure to talk with you. And um, uh, for those uh, listeners that can't see, uh, Damien's got a really cool Vegemite hat on it today. So (laughs) I love it, mate. Very Australian. Um, So my background, I was the president of the Buyers Agent Association of Australia for the past four years. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of propertybuyer.com.au, which is a totally independent buyers agency. Um, Essentially, what we do is help our clients to buy property. Uh, We're just on the buy side. So, um, yeah, uh, as I said, I've been doing it for 20 years, started uh, 2001. Um, My background, Damien, was an economist. I started off in government. I trained and did a double degree in economics um, and worked in government for a number of years as a policy advisor and and an economist um, and actually worked for the Forestry Commission and the EPA doing environmental economics. And I was on a bit of a crusade to save the world at the time, Um, really did green economics and and also aid and development work, did that for 10 years. And um, when I was working in government, you know, I had a on my lunch hours I'd, and also the journey into to work every day on the train. I just started reading books, particularly around property, um, and started investing in property. And um, and that's how I really got started. So, um, yeah, but my other credentials are I'm also a QPIA, which means I'm a qualified property investment advisor. Um, that's a member and a member of PIPA, the Property Investment Professionals Association. Correct. And the other thing I've done, I've been the chairman of the buyer's agent chapter for the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. So when I was president of REBA and also the chairman of the institute, um, both of those roles are voluntary. I volunteered my time and didn't get paid for that. And I spent countless hours trying to improve both the ethics and the standards within the buyer's agent industry Mm. um, to really raise standards and, and get us more recognition out there amongst the public.
0: Right. And speaking of the recognition side, um, I said off air that I hadn't even heard of what a buyer's agent was uh, until I started in the business working with my dad. And uh, as I'm aware in other countries like the United States, buyer's agents do the selling and the, the, the buying process. And that's sort of not, it's not disconnected the way it is in Australia. Do you know why uh, a buyer's agent might be something that not a lot of people are as aware of as a real estate agent would be.
1: Yeah, so you know, 20 years ago when I started, there were very mm. few buyers agents. I was one of the first original buyers agents in Sydney. You know, one of about right. five at the time. Um, but in Australia, compared to the US or the UK, it's a different model. In the US, you have a selling agent and a buying agent, okay. usually within the same agency, real estate agency. Right, right. And to sell your home over there, it's either cost you five or six percent. And 2.5% goes to the selling agent, 2.5% the buying agent. Mm. We don't have the same model here in Australia. We're completely, as a buyer's agent, I'm completely independent of the selling agent. I don't get paid any dollars from the selling agent or the vendor. I'm only retained and paid by the buyer. So it's okay. a different kind of model. Um, but in terms of awareness, yeah, you're right. The industry has become much more aware of what buyer's agents do now. Um, and I think people are realizing the value that they can they can bring and the help that they can uh, bring to clients along the buying journey.
0: For sure. What do you think? There was a moment in time, and you said before, so you started in two thousand and one. Was there a moment over that tw- the last twenty years where you realized, like, oh, there's a there's this moment was an immediate immediate shift in my career where I noticed more people were aware of what a buyer's agent was and understood the value of it.
1: I can't really pinpoint an exact year. Um, Not really. I think it's just been a gradual thing. Um, I mean, I've got plenty of stories along the way. Um, I was a celebrity buyer's agent on a show called Buying Blind about three years ago on Channel 9. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I don't know know if you ever saw it, but uh, not that (laughs) I really love reality TV, but I was pretty hesitant about doing it, but I ended up doing it. And I had to help six couples to buy their dream home. And the premise of the show was that, I met this couple literally for the first time, walked in the door, cameras either side, sat down with them, and then they signed a buyer's agency agreement and a power of attorney for me to spend their money. The next time I see them, I'm giving them the keys to their home. (laughs) <laughs> wow so can you imagine the amount of trust that they had to have in me to go and do that yeah job? It, uh, yeah it was a good series it got got some good ratings and it was a bit of a fun journey
0: that's yeah. awesome how long were you so you had to film and all that how how long was the process from from meeting them at the beginning oh. and the power of attorney signing uh how long was that to uh like giving them the keys how long was that process
1: so, well, I guess, well, look, I mean, there was six months of filming, okay. um, but from the time I'd never met the couples. So literally yeah. within 30 minutes of walking in the door, the producer said to me, Rich, you need to get this signature on these two documents or you failed. And I went, okay, no pressure. So uh, I did that successfully. Um, but then probably each client was different. Um, it was during the time sort of late 2017, early 2018 okay. when I was doing it. So the market was really hot, but coming off the boil um so really lack strong again like we got now lack of listings It probably took around about two to three months on average for each client because some some were more difficult than others yeah
0: okay Um, that's pretty awesome i've never heard i didn't know that that's really cool did you enjoy the pro was it was it something you you look back on it fondly i'm sure but would it was it something you'd do again if the opportunity came up
1: uh, great question. Uh, I enjoyed the process at the time, Damien. Um, right. it, was, it was very stressful. It was very uh, time-consuming. You have no idea how much time goes into filming these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Shayna Blaze, who's on the block, was there with me. She was the designer. And we had another guy called Marshall Keane, who was the builder, so, okay. I, my role was to find the properties, negotiate the house, and buy the property. And then Shana and Marsha would come in and do a reno and style it. And then we'd hand yeah, right. over the keys and do the big reveal. Wow. Um, yeah, was it was look, would I do it again? I don't know. It was. Okay. Uh, I probably wouldn't because it was just such a time consuming process. Yeah, yeah. And I'm super busy with my team now. Sure. Um, but it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was it was very satisfying to help these couples get on the property ladder. And I can tell you, all of them have made a huge amount of money now and the properties awesome bought too.
0: Oh, that's yeah. great. At least the outcome was positive, right? The, um, very positive. Mm-hmm. When uh, my only claim to fame with anything to do with filming, I was in a commercial with Andrew Johns when I was probably 10 years old. And the commercial yeah. goes for about 45 seconds and we were filming all day. Rubbish. Yeah. So yeah, filming is yeah. Filming's a very time... Uh, a time comprehensive uh, endeavor. It's a lot of time. You're well, just they, standing around a lot.
1: Well, the line that they used, the producers used to say to me is, "You know, hurry up and wait. Mm. You just sit around all day, and yeah, yeah. you get there at six thirty in the morning. They'd give you breakfast, but then you know you, you're on for only a short period of time, and then I've got to get yeah. the lighting right, and the sound yeah. equipment would fail." The camera would fail, and uh, it's just yeah, yeah. constant, you know.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a time. weird process. Yeah, I remember yeah. we'd have like a, an X on the ground that I had to stand on, and they'd like change the lighting oh so slightly and go say this say yeah. this one line again, and I'd have to say it again. I'm like, oh, I hate this. This is terrible, but uh, yeah, okay, that's awesome though. That's a pretty cool claim to fame. One of the things we're going to cover on the show too, which is sort of based around the idea of what advice you'd give to your 24-year-old self, I'm trying my best to interview different people within property and finance, those industries, to sort of get an idea of what mistakes they can look back on, be able to pass those mistakes on so others like myself can avoid them. Because I think if you can avoid mistakes that others have made, so you never have to learn those same lessons, I think everyone can go a little further in life. So I wondered if uh, if you could sort of explain to me what advice you would give to your 24 year old self if you could go back and talk to that that version of Rich.
1: I love I love this question, and yeah. um, it's uh, I want to be sending this podcast to my two sons who are both 21 and 23. Uh, as we speak. So perfect timing for this podcast, Damien. Um, What advice would I give myself? Look, I've certainly um, made quite a few mistakes and I've made some really successful decisions. And I think um, you definitely learn a lot more from your mistakes than than, than your successes. Um, I grew up in a family of five kids and um, I was the youngest in my family. Um, had a wonderful mum and dad and great brothers and sisters. And I think I would learn from my, my family's mistakes, my brothers and sister's mistakes too, because I was the youngest. You could watch how they live their lives yeah. as well. So that was pretty <laughs> cool. Um, but what advice I give my 24 year old self? I think one is, um, and, I, and I probably did this already, it was I got myself set up with a career as soon as I could. So I finished school, I studied, went to uni, um, then I went out in the workforce, then I went back to uni did my master's. So I kind of got my qualifications under my belt. So I'd still say to myself, definitely do the same kind of qualifications. But I think I would say to myself, get better practical skills. I think if I could have done, I did, um, you know, majored in economics and geography, but I think if I could redo the courses I did, I would have studied property economics um, and probably some other uh, finance courses. So I could mm. better understand the financial world from an earlier stage in my life than at the academic stage. So what I learned was, was highly applicable. I learned at uni how to research. Um, I was very resourceful um, and I was very diligent. So I learned not that uni was a waste of time. Uh, it was a wonderful thing. Um, and one of the best things that came out of uni was I met my wife there. And, uh, and, um, and one of the best investments you can ever make is in your wife. So uh, there you go. It's not monetary. Um, so, you know, I think people often joke about that, but it's entirely true. Mm. Um, what else would I say to myself Is um, is, is save as early as you can. So learn the principles of saving and investment and save with buckets. It's not about, you know, the smashed avocado thing where you can't have a good coffee and a good avocado yeah. sandwich, but save your money into buckets and don't touch it. So set yourself up with some goals. Um, like every year, even from a young age, I would write myself goals at the beginning of the year um, and then I'd write some tactics or activities to achieve it. So okay. and when I was younger, it was, you know, Get a new push bike or get a new tennis racket or whatever. And I had a little gardening business when I was at school, and that developed. It was called Richard's TLC, Total Lawn and Garden Care Service. Um, And then when I was at uni, that helped me get through uni. I had five or 10 lawns I do, and that would cash flow me through my uni years. Um, So I was kind of entrepreneurial at that stage. Um, What else other advice? Yeah, I think keep increasing your skills. As I say, get that skill base because your ability to create an income is what's gonna give you serviceability with the banks. No bank is gonna lend you money to buy property or invest unless you've got something that's a transferable skill. Mm. So the more practical, versatile skills you can get, the better. Um, what else? Um, I think investing early is really important too. You know, My wife and I, we bought our first property at age 25. Um, and we're really happy with that property. We actually bought something that we subdivided. We didn't realise at the time we could subdivide it, but it was, uh, it was a real godsend, and that really got us started on our journey. So it was like getting a free block of land back, so we, we subdivided it, built a house at the back, moved into that, capital gains tax-free, and then from there, we we're able to start our property portfolio. Um, so by the age of about how old, 27, 28 we'd almost not paid our home loan down, but put a pretty decent dent in the home loan. Oh, for sure. We uh, were both working. And that was a really great start before we started having kids. Um, and then we, we had our first child at age uh, 28 um, and then went from there. Um, in terms of a mistake, um, I've made a couple in property as well. i um, not going to hide that. Um, I bought a property um, in a regional area that really didn't go anywhere. And, uh, and that's, that was sort of set us back a bit. Um, it just didn't grow, and so we, we ended up selling that um, and moved on from it. Um, the other thing that do that that I did was invest very, very heavily with a developer without um, sufficient security. So a developer was offering a really high rate of return in what's called a mezzanine loan, and I didn't understand at the time how these work. Uh, and we invested a small amount, and then we invested much, much larger amounts, um, and we invested so much at one point that it basically wiped us out. So I'd got to a stage where we had fourteen properties in our portfolio, uh, and then we went back to one. So, oh, shit. Uh, as you can imagine, it was a pretty uh, heartbreaking, mm. gut wrenching, stressful time in our lives because the stupid developer went broke, and he actually yeah. uh, ended up going to jail because he, he did the wrong things with the money. Um, right. And that was pretty, pretty, pretty tragic in a financial sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it was something that we recovered from, and we certainly learned from it. Um, so if anyone's thinking of investing with a developer, it's not so much don't do it but be very careful to have very strong strings attached. Anything you invest in, make sure you understand the nature of documents you're signing and the level of security you have right. in that investment. Um, so that wasn't when I was 24 that was you know when I was in my, my 30s that that happened. Okay. Um, the other thing I'd say is when you are 24 is you could learn a little program called PIA. It stands for Property Investment Analysis. And if you Google property investment analysis, it was a program developed by lady, a guy called Ian Summers. Um, and it's a great little software. It's the industry standard in the investment property game. Um, and once you play around with this and understand the numbers, um, it just is revolutionary. When I you know, first understood how property investment works... Um, I bought three properties in my first year, right? Um, but it, what it does, you put in the purchase price, the rent, um, the likely depreciation, your agent's fees, all of the other costs, etc., and it spits out a bottom line. And I realised that buying a $500,000 investment property is going to actually deliver me $50 a week positive cash flow. I was like, well, why wouldn't everybody do this, you know? Mm. Um, and as soon as I caught that bug, I started teaching other people how to do it. You know yeah for sure um, and and at the time Damien I was working at the EPA um as I said in my lunch times and I started educating the staff and and after I bought three or four properties I reduced my tax liability down to zero and I remember the lady in the uh, HR department she was giving out the usual you know group certificates where you've got your interview statements and she goes how Rich how do you pay no tax and I said let me show you <laughs> <laughs> so for me it was a uh, kind of an introduction to me becoming an early early stage advisor on picking the right properties and helping people not just reduce tax, but to get themselves set up for the future.
0: Yeah, okay. And, and I wondered with the investment side of things and investing in property or whatever it might be, was that how were you introduced to it and what made you want to get involved in investing?
1: Um, I was motivated. I'd read a lot of books, as I said, like, you know, I read the classics, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, um, good books. Man in Babylon, Think and Grow Rich. Like, all read all the classics, which are really good. Right. Some of that stuff is not directly translatable into Australian markets, but it just sets your mindset on thinking about the future. So for me, um, I was driven by, by wanting to provide for my family. That was a very, very big driver. Um, I wanted to be the main breadwinner and set uh, a safety net for my family because I wanted to bring my boys into the world, look after them and make sure my wife's looked after and then set up a nest dig for our future. And then obviously mm. be generous to others and look at being charitable um, and be philanthropic later in my life as well. So that was, I guess, the driver. Um, you know, I'd been to a lot of seminars, read a lot of books. And so it was just, I guess, in my blood to want to sort of naturally do that in the future.
0: I guess to segue through from that and why you wanted to get into investing, what would be something you would want to say to other young people? And we can use your sons as an example, I guess. What would you try and say to those people to want to convince them or at least put that, that idea in their head for them to want to invest?
1: I guess everyone, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Yeah. I think everyone has to want to do something. I'm never going to force my sons to buy a home if they don't want it. It's up to mm. them. So, But we do say to them, hey, you're going to be on the rent cycle all your life unless you do something. Um, yeah. So I think it's about writing your own goals and running your own race. But let's take Sydney, for example. Sydney's median house price is $1.4 million. Uh, Melbourne's median house price is about 980 if not a million already. right? So... Got to look 10 years in the future, uh, or 10 years back, actually. Let's look 10 years ago. Sydney's median house price was about 600000 right? Uh, Melbourne's median house price was just over five hundred. So look at it. It's doubled in that period of time, and it's likely to double again. Um, it might take 12 years, but it certainly won't be 20 years before it doubles. So the length of time it takes to save for a deposit and get into the market will take you longer and longer and longer the more you leave it. So my advice to my 24-year-old self is, would be to look to save for that deposit. And again, if you're buying your first home, you only need 5%, right? Um, with, the, with the government incentives now, it's amazing. So why not take advantage? I never had any legs up from the government, no stamp duty or anything. I saved every dollar I had to spend on the property and had to put in 20%. Yeah. So I would say definitely save. And, and then capture that magic of compound growth. You know, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. Compound growth is just incredible. You know, I look at some of the properties I've bought over the years and just I'm amazed how much they've increased in value. Hmm. So it's it's much harder to get into the property market the longer you leave it. And the sooner you can get into it, the better. And the other reason too, Damien, is that properties like a forced savings program. I call it the vacuum theory. So if you've got a hundred bucks in your bank account. Uh, you might think, oh, I could go and, you know, have a nice night out on the town. I could go to a restaurant. I could go and do some sort of sporting activity or I could put that into my property. Now, if it's automatically swiped out of your account into your property account, you won't see it. You won't even think about it. So the earlier you can have the discipline of paying off a mortgage and having, it's not, don't think of it as a burden. People think of, especially younger people, I believe, think of debt and having a mortgage as an absolute fun restrictor it's going to take away all your fun you'll never be able to travel like my wife and i we've traveled heaps and we're going to do heaps more and we love it but property has enabled us to do more of that so as long as you pick the right assets and and start earlier the better it's going to be for you
0: and something you brought up before that i wanted to touch on saving your money and like you said just now it feels like getting involved in buying a house and having a mortgage mortgage is going to restrict the amount of fun you have Mm -hmm. bernard salt receives a lot of a lot of shit pardon the french from younger people Mm -hmm. and i sort of feel bad for the guy because it got made into a meme when what he was trying to say is fairly on on point to me uh this idea that a lot of young people feel don't realize that you've got to sacrifice a little bit it doesn't mean that you never have any fun you never go out with friends but it's about it's about i guess regulating that a little bit so There's even amounts of fun activities you get to do with your friends and your family that cost money, as well as making sure this is my goal for savings and I'm going to stick to it. And as long as you're doing that at the same time, I don't think people should worry about the smashed avocado on the weekend, right? Because it is pretty tasty and a good, you know, $7 coffee with almond milk. It's not bad.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think what you're touching on is, is this concept of deferred gratification. Mm-hmm. And I think those words are just not used in young people's vocabulary. Deferred, why would I defer my gratification? Why would I defer having fun? Um, I'll give you an example. When I was younger growing up, I used to love playing Lego. I don't play Lego anymore. But when I was, yeah, yeah when we were kids, we all had these things we'd love to save yeah. up for. Um, and I would, I would say to my mum and dad, how can I get some money to them? And they never gave me any money, but they're wise and they say, well, how can you go and earn that money? So I went and, and knocked on some doors and, and friends and I would water their gardens or do some weeding or mow a lawn or something, and I'd save up my 30 bucks and then I'd go to the shop and I'd buy what I wanted to buy. Right. Um, and it's the same with property, right? If you if you want to have that sense of safety and security and getting a nested, um, save up for it, but just defer some gratification. But build in a fun budget. You know, maybe it's a weekend away with your mates or your girlfriends, maybe it's a motorbike or a jet ski but have a have a goal to achieve it but don't don't keep upgrading your car every year and buying a mm. brand new car don't keep buying the latest curved television with uhd ultra 46x right um you know you don't need the latest fandangled apple uh, yeah. computer like it's just little decisions along the way and buy right. assets that appreciate rather than depreciate so mm. there's really smart wa- ways. I'm sure your dad is good at this in, in around finance. Like I buy a car that's usually two to three years old where it's already had 30 to 40% depreciation. Then I buy it on a lease through my business. If you can do it. And then I sell it after about three to four years and do the same mm. thing again. So I minimize the depreciation loss. For sure. Um, even, even buying furniture, I buy stuff on Gumtree. Right? I love Gumtree love, or Facebook marketplace is Even better these days. So little, little tricks of the, if you want to be smart, like there's so many ways you can be smart about saving money. Don't pay retail, pay wholesale wherever you go. And there's plenty of ways to do that.
0: For sure. I like that idea too. Like I moving into my place, most of my things are secondhand or I just haven't bought anything and I've got uh, my bedside table is a, a plastic storage box that's empty from when I moved. Like I refused to spend that money because, I don't know, principles. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. But, yeah, um, exactly. yeah. I guess that's – we might touch on this before we get out of here about money saving and budgeting. Are there yeah. – were there sort of ways or methods you uh, utilized as a younger person and even now – Uh, to budget like was there a way you would set out okay would you put your money aside right at the beginning when you got paid like i'd I'd, I'd be interested to know what your methodology was
1: yeah so being an economist i'd analyze things to three decimal points but i had a budget (laughs) spreadsheet i used to track it religiously and i'd track all our spending and but what i would do as soon as money comes in i'd put it into a sub account and these days with the banks it's great you can have lots of sub accounts so you know um, put your money into your property deposit account and that you just got to say, don't touch it. And I mean, yes, you can control it, you could spend it, but having it physically not in your transaction account or your everyday spending accounts, not there, swipe it out. I'd also, these days, you've got to make sure you cover your tax, you know, have a tax account. If you're a business owner, it's very easy to get behind and think all well, the money's yours, but no, you've got to pay 30% or whatever, 26% to mm. the back to the, the government. Um, so I would have sub accounts is the way I do it. Um, but I'd also be strategic, you know, if I wanted to have that holiday, um, if it was a $10,000 overseas trip or if it's, as I said, a new push bike or motorbike or whatever it is, you can budget for that. And if you set your goal, it's amazing how quickly you can achieve that goal once you focus on it. So budgeting, well, that sounds boring. It actually brings freedom. It actually brings fun. Um, and make it a fun process you know build in some ideas that you yeah, some things to really look forward to you know like sure. in the year when i'm well when because I, I work really hard i make sure i put two or three holidays a year because i really look forward to those holidays and having a break so just right. it's having that anticipation um of getting that deposit um that's and, and then getting into the game i think that's really important
0: yeah okay it's interesting what you said about the reward the the idea of like making rewards involved i uh my mum much to my mum's detriment i'm a bit of a tattoo fiend i like tattoos <laughs> part of what i do to when i'm budgeting is i actually put aside some money in cash that if i want to use it to spend discretionary things like coffees it's there if i want it but if i can leave that after a certain amount of time once i hit a savings goal that other money's been built up enough that i can throw it away on tattoos rich
1: Yeah, right, So everyone's got their different fetishes. Good on you. hundred percent.
0: Yeah, it's tattoos and Vegemite uh, corduroy hats.
1: (laughs) I love it, mate. Well, they're not going to break the budget, I tell you. No,
0: this was – I'll give them an ad because, you know, they should pay me for this. Vegemite – and I know no one can see this because it's audio only, but $30 on the Vegemite.com.au merch site. Great hat. I like it. I just showed you a hat. true
1: blue Aussie, mate.
0: Have 100%. I love it. I love Vegemite. Sure. I got to represent. That, that's about it, Rich. I was going to say, do you want to um, plug uh, Property Buyer? And if anybody wants to follow you on social media, things like that, how can they reach sure. out?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, obviously, our website's just propertybuyer.com.au um we work with everybody so people have got budgets as low as 350 grand up to 10 million but we don't we don't uh what's the word discriminate we love helping people um in terms of our fee we charge a fixed fee it roughly equates to around two percent but the minimum fee for our service for say a 500k property is 10 grand um and for that you get one of our team that works with you side by side we create a strategy um organize a buyer's brief We, we recommend specific areas we then go and short these properties. We evaluate them, negotiate them, and secure them. So it's an end-to-end service yeah. um, in what we do. And, yeah, we're on social media. So I'm on Instagram, Rich Harvey Buyers Agent. Uh, on Facebook, just search up Property Buyer. Um, but, Damien, one thing I just I just forgot to mention, if I can, just yeah. one important point yeah, about yeah, budgeting go for it. And, and sacrifice. I just want to say if you're looking to buy, say, a $500,000 investment property, it really it doesn't it's not going to cost you anything out of your own pocket once you've got that initial deposit together um and you know if you've got the right financing strategy around it um you can in some cases borrow more than 80% of the purchase price but let's say you're putting in a 10% deposit that's 50 grand right mm. um so there's a way in which you know just putting in that 50 grand will then deliver 100 dollars a week back in your pocket that's 5 grand a year you know so it's a it's it's a no-brainer once you understand and have got a little bit of capital saving behind you. Once you're on that property ladder, you then just rinse and repeat every couple of years. You know, the value of that property goes up by, you know, 100 grand. You can use that as your deposit for your next one. So it's not hard. It's just getting that deposit and getting the right team around you is really important.
0: For sure. Awesome. Thank you again, Rich, for the time. I appreciate it very my, much.
1: My pleasure, Damien. Thank you.
0: Thank you, sir.